This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupans. Zupans Markets, we're proud to have them with us. And uh, I've been really enjoying my visits to Zupans over the last six months or so. Mm-hmm. Um, they were always in my repertoire yep. of grocery stores, but lately have been my main go-to point. And uh, I'm really enjoying myself. You know, I'm not, I don't love to, co- I'm single. Yeah. I don't love to cook at home. So right. I've, I've been going in and picking up some prepared food, which is delicious and a good value. You you particularly have are fond of... The Pokey Bar. Right. Which has been awesome, because, yeah, because it's, uh, it's on my drive home. I hit the Burnside location, which right now is the only location that has the Pokey Bar, but it will be expanding in uh, this new year to the other locations. But five varieties of poke, seafood salads, three types of rice and toppings. It's great. Make your own little Pokey Bar or bring the whole family down for, like, a little outing. Yeah, well, you can actually go. They have events there. Yeah. The Cellar Z series. Right. Um, in uh, Lake Grove, I've been to one of their dinners there. It's fantastic. So they have wine tasting and learning. Uh, in March, they're featuring Spanish wines, which, you know, I've had the opportunity to experience in Spain. Yeah. Great thing to do. And you can find details on those events at uh, zupans.com. They also have. They're now doing a sausage of the month. I saw this on their Instagram account, and uh, I think right now it's their jalapeno cheddar, but it changes all the time. Yes, and they're all delicious. There's so much there. When I go in, I don't have anything in mind. I just go in and see what appeals to me, and Mm -hmm. lots of times I'm walking out with some quiche, sometimes some fish, and I particularly love their soups. An easy way to keep up on uh, everything happening at Zupans is their website, brand new website. You can find out what's fresh and new, zupans.com. That's actually where I figured out, I, I did my Valentine's Day shopping at zupans.com. Yeah, well. Ordered the flowers online. It was awesome. Right. Court's still in his, in his lovely marriage as a result of that. It's true. Once again, for another edition of Portland's Food Scene Podcast, known as Right at the Fork with your hosts, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. And Court Johnson from Kink.fm Mornings. Yeah, and, th- and this is, I think, one of the, the uh, I don't want to say strangest combinations in guests, but uh, cycling and uh, restaurants and good eats and, and food. And food it, it, it's an interesting combination, but uh, our guest today definitely brought that to the table. Chris Minow. Yeah. And it's timely because he's opening... Uh, he's a chef at a new restaurant that's opening right about when this releases. Right. It's either going to be right before or right after. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Rabbit at the Hilton Hotel here. Yeah, just down the street from where we are right now. Right. I mean, I'm always excited about new places opening up in this area because I don't, I don't say that we're in a void, but we're in a, that you know, there's the regular ones that we can go to and it's always nice there's to have something to do. There's just not that many on the street. Right. But you got to go in a little bit and venture in. So right. here you'll have to venture in and you can go for breakfast. I'm excited too. about that. So, yep. The nice thing about hotel restaurants is they're open breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right. Um, and uh, I first met Chris when he was at Clyde Common and uh, helmed that kitchen for a few years, which is, I think, um, an important spot in Portland. Mm-hmm. It embodies it, and it's one of the restaurants that people must go to um, to experience the whole vibe. Um, and then later did something really interesting, and you mentioned it, cycling. And uh, marrying cycling to culinary talents. Yeah. And uh, it's good to have him on and hear what he's doing um, and hear about also a San Francisco chef, nationally known Chris Cosentino, um, coming into Portland. That's a big thing, too. Right. And and, and definitely something that uh, ma- makes this particular uh, restaurant venture very unique. People have their, are going to have their eyes on it and yeah. they're going to have their butts and seats to try it. Mm-hmm. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Leanne Bach. Choosing the right realtor can make or break the buying or selling experience in real estate. Leanne Bach is in tune with the ever-changing Portland landscape, especially as it pertains to our food and restaurant world. Why not work with someone who's in step with you and has years of experience to work on your behalf? Find Leanne at leannebach.com. 
L-E-A-N-N-E-B-A-C-H.com. Zupan's, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. Food Trekking World. Coming soon in Portland is Food Trekking World, the world's largest convention of trade professionals. Food and beverage meet travel and hospitality. Business-to-business appointments, speeches, and hundreds of professionals you'll want to meet from all over the world. It's April 2nd through the 4th at the Sentinel Hotel. Find out more at foodtrekkingworld.org. That's trekking with two Ks. For our listeners only, use promo code FORK, F-O-R-K, and get $200 off right now. And by Portland Food Adventures. Did you know you can eat and drink your way through Europe with chefs like Atala's Jose Chesa and Lardo's Rick Gencarelli? Join right at the Fork host Chris Angelus and his great chef friends for these trips of a lifetime to Barcelona and Tuscany in September and October. Get to PortlandFoodAdventures.com and click on the blog tab to see pricing and itineraries. Okay, Court's gotten used to it by now, right? My voice. Hearing, hearing your voice. It depends. It depends. Sometimes I'll do it, and uh, I'm just like, oh man, how do I have a career in radio? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think you have a great voice. I, when we first started doing the podcast. It was rough. Yeah. And now I can listen to my voice without... You have to. You yeah. You have to come to grips with certain things in life. Even when I listen to like, my voicemail message, I, I can't. <laughs> wow. Can't, yeah. 20 seconds is enough if you're so... You know, I wonder if, there, I wonder if there's an app that'll, to... That'll change it? Well, no. Actually, there is an app. It's anything that will record your voice, and then you hear it the way it's going to hear it. But yeah, if there's right. an app you can hear it, it would change it back to the way you hear it yourself. Oh, I see. Maybe I just need something with auto-tune in it. Just to do that to my voice whenever I'm on there you go. media. Digitize it just a little bit. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Just to correct it. Well, let's hope you're on enough media so that you have that issue to deal <laughs> with. Um, but yeah, you're in the limelight now. Yeah. Um, wow. You got some exciting things happening. I was thinking the only time we've actually sat down and chatted other than a passing hello at Lardo a couple of years ago yeah. was when you were at Clyde Common and we were talking about doing an event. Court and I last night were out to dinner and we were discussing how serendipitous things happen in your life which drive you to different in different directions so since then i don't think you would have thought you were going what you were going to be doing what you did up until recently in the biking world that was a unique very unique very i hate to use the portland as a an adjective but a, a really indigenous thing to do for this area to be involved with cycling and cooking at the same time yeah it was um it, it was it was it was crazy how it all worked out I, I i mean i to start i came here without a job so i was lucky enough to to land the sous chef job at clyde common which after about eight months turned into the chef job at clyde common and after about five years uh, i i i was starting to get a little restless and i felt like it was a, a time for a transition for the restaurant a time for a transition for myself as well and uh, I happened to be living uh, with the gentleman who used to run uh, PR for Chris King, the company I ended up going to work for. And he introduced me to the Chris King. He is a man. Uh, he does exist. And uh, we got to talking. And uh, I, I had been involved with his event series, The Gourmet Century, for a couple of years prior to that. And every time I did it, I loved it. And I thought, how cool would it be to be able to just do that as a job? And um, sure enough, just as I was starting to get really restless at Clyde, uh, he approached me and said, you know, how would you feel about coming on board full time to, uh, to handle, you know, the Gourmet Century and the other events we want to do? Oh, so it sprung from the Gourmet Century. Yes. Which is? So, yeah, to, uh, the, the Gourmet Century was an event series that Chris King has been putting on since 1999. Wow. Um, essentially a, a bike ride where between 100 and 500 riders come out, and it's a day of of food and enjoyment. It's not a bike race. It is a bike ride. You are encouraged to go slow. Uh, we do food every 18 or so miles. We do breakfast, lunch, dinner. At the end, we do booze. Uh, we have entertainment. It's, it's a really fun day. And it allowed me to get really creative and, and combine all of my passions into one event. And it was, it was great. Were you a passionate bike rider before then? Because I think about biking <clears throat> a lot. When I was a kid, I don't know most people, but 
I lived on a bike. I mean, I could do and I could do tricks on a bike. Which yeah. right now I get on a bike and I'm like, uh. It's that first sense of freedom. Yeah. When you learn to ride a bike, it's the first time you get to leave home. And I dare say, in my generation, we could go pretty far. Yeah. Without and at a very young age. Yeah. Without anybody monitoring us, and by the way, without helmets. Oh yeah. And, uh, the rules were different back then. Yeah, it was I get very it. different. So, um, and when I get on a bike now, I'm I love it, but I have not become one of the. Uh, I don't know, one of the daily riders or the aficionados. My son got into it recently, but uh, were you, was it something that you fell I, into or were you already? No, I've, I've been into it for a long time. Uh, where I grew up, we didn't, we didn't, it wasn't a city, it was very suburban. Where uh, was that, by the way? Uh, Westchester County, New York. Oh, we it, grew up right next to each other. Yeah, Golden's Bridge was the town. Uh, we had a train station. Where is Gold? Yeah. And a Dunkin' Donuts. It was not on the line that I was on, the, the New Haven line. It was, you were the, on the, it was the Harlem line. The Harlem line, right. Yeah. So and so, how far up outside uh, of New York? About an hour and a half. Oh, you were a little further. Yeah, we were, we were pretty far up. We were like three stops from the end of the line. So while we're there on the train, we're, uh, what did your parents do? Uh, Let's my, go back to your childhood because I want to get there because you started cooking pretty early. True so I want to hear about that. So my, my mom was actually a nurse, a pediatric nurse, and my father was a music producer in advertising. Um, so they were, my father was going back and forth in New York City. My mother worked locally, and uh, I'm the last of five kids. So I was left to, uh, by 10 years, I might add. So I was left to my own devices for a little while. And um, that's about when I started to get into the food thing because I really liked to eat. I was such a fat kid, um, thanks in part to my mother, and I mean that in a good way. Um, and I just started to tinker in the kitchen. And it was about, I remember, a very clear conversation when I was about 13 years old where my mom asked me, what do you think you want to do with the rest of your life? And it was like, I remember just walking in the garage. I never got asked that I, question at 13. Yeah. I was, I was, right I was like, what do you want to do tomorrow? Yeah. I, was, I was thrown off a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I said, I think I might want to try cooking. Which is unusual. Yeah. For back then, we didn't have we didn't have the food media we have now. Right? Did you watch like Graham Care or anything like that? Frugal Gourmet. Frugal Gourmet, right? Uh, just a little bit of Julia Child. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yen can cook. Oh yeah, loved right. that program. Uh, but my mother had a ton of cookbooks, and and she cooked almost every day. I would say we ate out maybe once a week, but she cooked all the time. And uh, watching her do it, uh, I I started to just pick up on stuff, and then. Um, they, I think my first cookbook ever was the Mrs. Fields cookie book, and uh, I made uh, chocolate chip cookies out of that first, and then that first day, that was it. I just started going from there. That's interesting, because my first Mrs. Fields memory goes back to West Ch- the Westchester Mall. Oh, yeah. There. I remember that, so it was close by. All right, so, uh, so you're deciding at 13 to get into cooking. And you're living a suburban life. Yes. Uh, and I just wanted to ask you, so my father was in advertising too. Have you watched Mad Men and did, did your father's life look like that at all? Was, no. He, it, it depends on generations. So too. I asked my father about that and he, he kept kind of quiet about it. He didn't really say much. There's a reason. Uh, my brother, however, also a music for advertising and uh, he worked for a, a company in New York, which I won't mention, but uh, he had said there was, a, even up until recently, that was... A thing, right? Well, I worked in a small boutique agency in the in the '80s, and that was a thing. But the misogyny that went on sure. during in Mad Men wasn't going was going on in my father's day because he didn't even realize what was wrong with that. Sure. You know, what he didn't see it in the show, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, <laughs> so that wasn't going on. But yeah, the the crazy life was yeah and it just turned in the mid to it turned in the late 80s i think to more of a corporate no more martini lunches uh that wasn't the that wasn't how you operated right and i think that's probably when my father got really into it and he'll call me and correct me after he hears this uh but before that i mean he was a traveling musician so he went everywhere playing and and he did a ton for our family and uh what kind of music uh oh a little of everything um and, and it's funny because uh, at one point he had cornrows. I'm like, what are, what are you doing? What's going wow, on? Father and if you've seen my father, uh, you would you would be amazed that that was ever a thing. But he played a lot of jazz. An Italian guy with cornrows? Yeah. yeah. How did that work? Well, he couldn't step foot into New Jersey. That's all. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Where he did spend a lot of time, actually, 
White Castle is a tradition in our family for sure mm-hmm. in New Jersey. Um, but yeah, he uh, yeah he that that's what he did. He 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 drove around he drove around with his band and and played and uh, and then finally settled into advertising. I think around that time. Oh okay. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting business and uh, and a tough one commuting in and out. If it was the For type sure. of thing that he had to do all the time, which it was, and and it, I can see where it left you at home alone. Yes, there were there were great stints. I mean, my mom was working; she was a nurse. She had just finished nursing school, pretty much when I was uh, old enough to pay attention to myself. And everybody else was out of the house yep. when you were ten, eleven, or exactly. close to it, anyway. Exactly. Uh, I mean, the first thing aside from the cookies that I made was eggs, and I was so impressed with myself uh, that I, you know, then I tried the bacon. <laughs> and then one thing led to the other. And uh, 19 years later, here I am. So you started in a bakery? Um, so, no, I mean, I, I actually, my first restaurant job, uh, my brother got me, my brother, Nick Domino, who owns a uh, wine uh, shop actually in Brooklyn called Sip Fine Wine. He he got me a job at a restaurant called La Madeleine, which was on 42nd Street in the middle of the theater district. Oh, in Manhattan. Okay. Yeah. And uh, at 15 years old, uh, he introduced me to the chef, and I I got to talking with him. He said, do you want to come down and be an intern? And no, it was my summer break. Um, so you got on the you hopped on the train every day to go? True to go? story. Three, three hours round trip? Yep. Every day. And, and, and on that train ride, I plowed through cookbooks which were far too heavy to be carrying on the train. And I would do uh, the early morning prep and lunch at the restaurant, and then I would uh, then I would head home after that. Were you paid? No. I didn't get paid for the first four years I cooked. I got stiffed pretty hard. Uh, but, I mean, I was four. fortunate enough to live with my parents, so I had that going for me. It wasn't like I had to pay rent or anything. And I was, I was pretty young, and I didn't know better. And... Every person who I talked to, every chef that I had, had all been brought up through the, you know, the intern apprenticeship system where nobody got paid ever. And I thought that was just normal. Um, and it wasn't until I was probably 17 or 18 um, where I talked to Bill Telepan, who I worked for for years. He's still one of my very good friends. But he said, maybe in a year or two, we'll start paying you. So a year or two went by, and I finally <laughs> said, can I start to do that money thing? Yeah, I would think that would cross your mind more than once or twice in that year or two period. Right? Yeah. And he said, oh, you, you remembered. <laughs> um, but yeah, then that was the first paycheck I ever received was from uh, the Judson Grill. That was a long, that's a long time to go without getting paid. True story. Wow. True story. Uh, like I said, fortunately enough, able to uh, live with my folks at the time, and they supported me in all this, and and, uh, and it was a good thing. And I, I was sort of glad that I was brought up in that because, A, now I've got the story. And uh, it made me care a lot more about it. Uh, plus, hearing from the people who I was working with about how it used to be, it was, it was a really positive experience for me. Good. And it led you to the CIA, correct? It's true. Yeah. Uh, I went there, got my associate's degree, and then uh, took a year off and then went back and got a bachelor's degree, actually. And uh, it was great. It was a great few years. It wasn't the true college experience, which I feel like I did miss a little bit. And every once in a while, I'd go to my, my friends' colleges and, and see what they were doing uh, and see what a real party was and stuff like that. Yeah, that has to be a little different. But the CIA was in your backyard, so you didn't have to travel to do that. True. True, though I did, I did live on campus. I mm-hmm. did not commute from home, and I made a point of, of living there. So I got a little bit out. I would think that a lot of people that want to be in the food industry, it would be fairly party. At, it would be there would be a party atmosphere? You'd be surprised. Um, it, it did. There was that atmosphere for sure. Uh, but at the same time, everyone, everyone worked hard. Um, and I, I think I was fortunate enough to be in a, in a class where everyone really did care. And we did do our fair share of partying for sure. But we also stayed pretty straight and narrow. Wow. Some of my I classmates can't imagine are a college experience like that. that. Although, no, my, my son's way more straight and narrow college experience than I had. So, right. Yeah. I, it wasn't until later I decided to tell them a little bit of what mine was like. <laughs> I, you know, in the, but in, back in the days when I was in school, and you had a specific, you were going in a specific direction. And that's the other thing. We were just get a degree in something you kind of like and then yeah. go from there. Yeah. The and, communications degree. Yeah, exactly. The, that's what I had. The art degree. The BA in radio television from University of Arizona, and I, and I jumped from... A college in Ohio to Syracuse to University of Arizona, and it wasn't, you know, it was, that was not, it wasn't about that holy grail right. of being in the film industry, although I could have, and I still dabble in that. Sure. It helped. 
different thing. Yeah. Well, it was definitely the kind of school where you got out of it what you put into it. I saw some people really just coast, and they didn't really do well grade-wise, and then they just graduated, and now some of them don't even work in the industry anymore. Do you think those people were, were A, paying their own way, or B, it was their decision to go there, or do you think they were there because- I think some some of them were were not, it wasn't their plan for them to be there. And I think I think some of them were paying their own way, and I think a lot of people did just have aspirations to do it, but then I think some, you know, people just didn't find their passion there. I I knew this was what I wanted to do, and I I wanted to put as much into it so I could get out of it as much as I possibly could, um, you know. And, and going into it, I remember I didn't even know I didn't really know what a stock was when I showed up there, and that was my first holy shit experience. What, oh, that's what it is! Amazing. And uh, I just, I wanted more and more from there. How many weeks does it take to learn to make great stock? Uh, it took me like two <laughs> days, <laughs> which is great. Um, but who, I mean, all the stuff I had no idea about. I mean, I had been doing very regimented tasks up until then at restaurants because, I mean, I wasn't working at station ever because they wouldn't trust me because I didn't know anything. Um, but all these building blocks that I had to work with, I had no idea how they were made. It wasn't the kind of situation where you can necessarily ask sometimes. And uh, I, I, I got a lot out of that school. It was great. Do you run into any of your classmates nowadays? And Are there any in Portland? Because it's a small... It turns out it's a generally small world. People have run into each other. Oh, in food world cities. especially. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, in Portland, there's no one I can think of. Uh, but when I moved here from New York, uh, driving across country, I pretty much stayed with one of my classmates every night. On oh, the way out. That was actually the reason I joined Facebook to begin with, was to find people to possibly crash with. And I found a lot of people who I went to school with, and uh, and we still keep in touch, a lot of us, too. That's that, I could see that in the, new, the thing that they have now with the recommendations, when you just ask, I'm looking for suggestions, and that recommendations thing's... Right. It, someone to live with across the country. Exactly. Stay with across the country. Well, now there's Airbnb. Yeah. But um, but you couldn't afford it. So what, what was it that drove you out here? We're kind of jumping to, you know, three year couple years career. past. Um, and that's fine. We can talk about that and some of the things that you learned. Did you ever run into Rick along the way there? No. Rick Ciancarelli? No. Funny enough, though, we, we, I never knew who he was. He never knew who I was. He was running Shelburne Farms in Vermont. I was working at Blue Hill at Stone Barns. And we traded a lot of employees back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lot of people from Shelburne come down in the off season to work at Blue Hill, and then you know a couple of our guys went up there to work during their on season. And uh, I, I kept on hearing about this magical place called Shelburne Farms, which is the Vermont version of, of Stone Barns. And uh, I never knew who he was. And it wasn't until here, until I moved here, and we met after you know years after he started Lardo, where we actually connected and, and figured all that out. And it was very much a eureka uh, moment. And uh, him and I, to this day, are, are really good friends. Yeah, no, I, I've, that's why I asked. And I also know that he worked with Chris Cosentino right. at some point. So I just wondered what the connection, whether there was an Italian connection. There's or... the Italian connection. We do we do a lot of guinea talk, for sure, with each other. <laughs> and uh, and, and the, the restaurant connection from the East Coast and, you know, the East Coast ideals and mentalities and things like that. And now and now he shares our, our passion for cycling as well. So. I didn't know that until I saw that he was going to do his 300-mile ride. Yeah. Which, you know, I showed up at that event at Plaza del Toro <laughs> and I was, I was like Debbie Downer there. <laughs> I said, you can't do 300 miles. And I felt terribly guilty about that the next day when I thought, man, everybody was there to support him and everybody else. And... I didn't say go Rick grow. I right. said, "How are you going to do that?" Well, it's 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 going to be a hell of an event. It's called Chef Cycle. There's 12 of us from Portland doing it. Uh, we've got a team called Sack Lunch PDX, and uh, we've been training for it and raising money for it. And all everything benefits No Kid Hungry, which is a great cause that you know we're all pretty passionate about. Uh, you know, the fact that children can't eat in public schools is disgusting. So we're we're trying to fix that one mile at a time. And and again, we've discussed this court on the podcast, now that now it seems more important than ever exactly. to handle those issues. Exactly. So who else who else uh, in town is involved? I know you, so you and Rick and- Rick and I, um, Jason French from Ned Yeah, I would, I would presume that. Uh, our friend Thomas Pisha Duffley, who works at Pock Pock. Uh, we have the PR director, Anna, from Rogue Brewery. Um, Kate Mathers, who runs Play Nice PR. Nice. Um, also works with Ken Forkish. Yes, 
uh, Ariel Clark, who runs the Portland Kitchen, also a nonprofit, um, and and a bunch of other a bunch of other folks. It's it's a really good group. Uh, everyone really cares, and um, we go on rides. We try and get on rides a couple times a week, and then big ones on the weekends. And uh, we're all just trying to learn and get better and get more fit and get faster and good and really learn. I just don't want to see Rick get injured before we go to Italy. That's no, all. I think he'll be okay. <laughs> I believe he's he's progressing like crazy. Yeah, well, that's good. He's, his head's in the game. And he's gotten in shape in the last year. Oh, yeah. He definitely has. He's lost a ton of weight. Yeah. A ton of weight. Well, good. Well, that's cool. So, you know, I don't know about you, Court, but I've gone through a number of real estate transactions in mm-hmm. my time, and I've had some great ones, and I've had some not-so-great ones. Right. And the key is picking the right realtor right off the bat. It all comes down to the realtor when it, when you get down to it. Right. Especially in a hot market. And you and you need to act fast and you need to negotiate uh, from a strong position. Yeah. And in, in a matter of days, if not half of a day, Chris, could mean thousands of dollars gained or lost. Right. And market knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. So we've known Leanne for a little while now. And I can tell you this, she's tuned into the food world. So I would say if there's anyone listening out there and they want someone who understands where they're coming from and where they want to come from when they go to a restaurant, Leanne is the one to call. And that number would actually be 503-349-7890 or go online to leannebach.com. That's L-E-A-N-N-E-B-A-C-H.com. Do it. We love Leanne, and, and she's here to support not only us, but our entire Portland food world. So, uh, Chris, I understand things going pretty well for these upcoming uh, trips to Europe in the fall. PFA International. Yeah. Tuscany with Chef Rick Gencarelli of Lardo and Grassa, if you're a fan of theirs and you know him at all, or if you don't know him. We're going to have a great time doing uh, foraging for truffles, eating incredible food, beer tasting, wine tasting in Tuscany. We also have Seven Days in Barcelona, our third trip that we've done with Chef Jose Chesa of Chesa, Atala, and 180. Go eat churros in Barcelona with Chef Jose. Yeah. And, uh, and we have some space there. Our Tuscany trip is almost full, and we have some space for Barcelona. So um, we welcome anybody to come along and contact me for more information. Yeah, and then you can go to uh, portlandfoodadventures.com. The uh, the blog tab will give you the itineraries and, and how to contact Chris. I'll and, just tell you right now. You yeah. can call 503-395-5900. Okay, that's one way. You also, do you have some events coming up as well? I do. Some local events? Thanks for asking, Court. You're, you're welcome. Uh, we're at Dame uh, in late February. You can look out. It's February 21st. Uh, doing a wine-centric event, which we've never done before, uh, really focusing on natural wines. You can hear Dana Frank recently uh, in our archives on Right at the Fork. And then we're at March 29th, with Chef Bill Wallander. And that's a beautiful restaurant, excellent food, and uh, one of the new places that we've talked about quite a few times on Right at the Fork with Gary the Glutton. Uh, how did you get from uh, King to, and how did you know Chris Costantino with Jackrabbit about to open? So I met Chris about 10 years ago at an event in New York. I couldn't tell you what event, uh, but he tells me we met. <laughs> it was one of the, you know, it was a New York food event. So do you remember meeting him or no? He's vaguely. Yeah. I remember like talking my, to him for like, like a my minute. dating history. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so then long after that, Moved here, Clyde Common. Uh, first year I worked at Chris King at the first ever Sonoma Gourmet Century. Uh, my coworker Jay Cisip uh, knew Chris from way back in the day. Chris actually used to be a pretty accomplished mountain bike racer, and uh, Jay ran a company that sponsored him. Uh, and he brought him out to do one of the courses for the Gourmet Century that year. Him and I got to talking. And we we started building this relationship. And about two years later, he approached me at Feast and said, I think we're doing a project here. Are you interested? And oh, I said, nice. sure. I said, let's talk. And it was very much a will they or won't they for two years or so. And uh, finally, the beginning of this year, or the beginning of last year, 2016, it was, okay, I think we're doing this. Are you in? I'm like, if you do it, I'm, I'm game. And then I heard nothing for a long time. And then come September, it was, we're doing this in two months. And I said, oh, okay, let me, let me give my notice. And uh, and it went from there, and now it's real. 
And so you've been working on this since then, right? For a long time. It's uh, it's like a trans, not a transition team. It's a new team. Yes. You have to build. Yes. And then how far off are you? We're Soon. hoping to be open on March tenth. Wow. Yeah. So you got hoping. it. You're close. Yes. Oh yeah. We we are we are very close. I marvel at how but how far away you're going to be on March eighth. Oh from, yeah. From from looking like you're going to open. Yeah. I I marvel at how restaurants like the last couple of days. Even it, even looking at the restaurant now and and the builders have done amazing work in the last few weeks. But uh, looking at it now, I'm like, there's no way we're going to be open on March. But everyone keeps telling me it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I so, saw, I had the opportunity to see Ox because we did an opening dinner there. Sure. Um, and um, see it the day, a couple of days before. Actually, we had to postpone by a week because it wasn't ready. But even the day before and even at five o'clock when they opened the doors to our folks at six o'clock, you could not tell it was going to be a restaurant. And then I remember when Rick opened Lardo on Hawthorne. Right. They were drilling things in the wall. It opened at 11 a.m. And at 10.55, they were still drilling things in the wall, drilling the holes in the picnic table. Oh, you're going to be able to smell paint drying yeah. when we open up. I guarantee it. <laughs> so are you? Uh, I guess these are um, skills you learned in the kitchen to be kind of relaxed and calm. I'm doing my best. I, I, try and, I try and stay as relaxed as I possibly can. And uh, I... I'm great under pressure, actually. I'm uh, I'm not the best planner ever. So long term things, like I, you know, even in school, it was a I'll wait till the last minute to do this, and uh, I, I'm learning that I need to not do that anymore. Um, it's but, not all in your hands, though. No, right? no, no, no. So, I, we have a huge team, actually. Huge how many people team. are going to be working there? Uh, in the kitchen, I have twenty two. And how many seats in the restaurant? About one hundred and fifty. Wow, that's big. It's going to yeah. be big. And I think it's going to be one of the most beautiful dining rooms in Portland. It's it's really coming together now, and it is it is awesome. And it's space I've never been in in yeah. Hilton, so it's 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 going to feel new. It is, and and if anyone has ever gone to Portaterra, it is nothing like what Portaterra was, which is what we took over. Mm-hmm. And Portaterra, God bless them, they were open for fourteen years, and they did great. Uh, but it was just time to to revamp. Well, not only that, I would have to imagine that was surviving on strict on the hotel, right? Strict tourism because. I never heard anybody talk about, hey, I'm going to Portaterra, do you want to go? Right. And even if you sort of looked at it, it sort of blends into the building that it's in, too. There's nothing that sets it apart. It, it's sort of very monotone colors, and, and it's almost hard to see from 6th Avenue where it is. Um, so, yeah, we are, we, we are trying to set ourselves apart from what a normal hotel restaurant is. And well, bring in and a lot of the locals. And you have a few now. Well. You know, Vitaly's been doing a pretty good job of... True. And you were at Clyde, too. Yep. So you have, you've done... You've, done this rodeo before yes and, and Clyde did a pretty good job of uh setting itself apart from the average we we tried we certainly yeah. tried yeah I think made it made a nice mark and then of course I think uh with um Imperial and Headwaters there's there's now a predilection and not that the Heathman wasn't there for years right but, the, but there's a predilection towards that thing and and people are going to welcome it and now you've got some you've got a high High bent, a uh, high mark. To yes. Jump over. Oh, we got some competition for sure, and we've been running around checking other people out. I was at Imperial yesterday, actually, and we had a great happy hour there. Um, and, and you know, everyone at Headwaters has been incredibly supportive, um, talking to to Vitali and to Garrett, uh, and and to the chef there. They've been, you know, anything you need, just let us know. Just let us know. It's been great. It's been really nice to just have friends in the neighborhood. It's a little different than the East Coast. Oh, very. You know that, that's what uh, oh, why I'm even why we have this podcast now is because I started this whole thing ba- because the community aspect of Portland's food world was so unique to me coming from Connecticut where you know the guy from one pizza place would kill you if he heard you went, you went to the other one. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, like in New York, I remember at Blue Hill the biggest competition was um, oh, Richard Gere's restaurant, Bedford Bedford Post, I believe it was called, and anytime. You know, any of the cooks would come in from there and be like, we got to blow these people away right now and make them cry that they're working at that other restaurant and not our restaurant kind of a thing. And it was very much, you know, it wasn't malicious in any way. We just wanted to prove that we were the best there. And and Dan certainly did prove that he was the best. Um, so you haven't lost that competitive spirit. It's in you. I got a little and bit I know of it, I'm the not going to lie. I know Rick and I know generally everybody. So it's an interesting dance. Yeah. Everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people in the food world do here. 
supporting others while still feeling, eh, I still want to, you know. Uh, I, I do still have a little streak, and it does come out every once in a while, depending on how many beers I've had in me. Uh, but it, 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 I'm trying to lose it. I'm trying to be uh, to be as, as nice as possible. But you need it for an edge. You oh, can't just totally. be completely soft and, oh, I hope everybody does this and that. You have to have totally. competitive spirit for But we're edge. just, I mean, we're going we're gonna to do what we do. Um, which is? We, we're going to make some really, really nice food, which I think is a little bit different for Portland. And well, wait a minute. That's a very general statement. You know, we were talking about this this morning. <laughs> it's the hardest thing in the world to try and describe food. It's not like we're making. I know. Everybody, there's food so many or restaurants Italian here. Food. What is it? Well, it's using the local ingredients. To Farm table is played. So, but that's. I mean, Chris's style is very. His sous chef Elliot down in San Francisco put it best on my first day when I hung out there last December. Is like the food is just honest. It's straightforward. It's honest. It's big. It's filling. It's it's got some fat to it. It's got a lot of awful in it, uh, but it's very straightforward and it's really good. And and just to clarify, because I'm going to guess that some people listening to this podcast don't know the difference between O F F A L right. and A W F U L. Sure. You were not. I was talking about O F F A L. That's not like a new term for bad or anything. right. Right. Lot lots of innards. Right. The, the you know head to tail cooking kind right. of thing, which is. Something that which is farm to table, right? That is the whole thing. It all leads to each other, and it's all it's all I, I, the words are all played out. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm and I'm we're trying to like come up with a new exciting way to talk about it. Really, the only thing you can do is say experience it because when yeah. you're describing, well, and now once you're open, there's Instagram, there's right. ways to display it exactly at least, but exactly, uh, yeah, sometimes it's hard to describe the difference between a really interesting restaurant right. that has a little bent, but. That's also why we're chef-driven here in yes, Portland. So that's true. Chris is putting his stamp on it. Is are you also? How much of your stamp is going to be on on Jack Rabbit? So we're working together a lot. Uh, a lot of the opening menu is his, uh, but we are slowly going to transition. We're not going to be reprinting the menu every day like like we did at Clyde. However, um, we will be changing the menu often. And with Chris not being present all the time, I will be left to some of my own devices. We we will we do talk on the phone every day. Um, so we, we get a lot accomplished and with his blessing, I, I put stuff on the menu for sure. But he, you know, when we started this whole thing, that was one of my first questions. I said, how much of this is me and how much of this is you? And he said, it's your kitchen. He's like, I, my name is on it. So it needs to match my style, but it's, it's all yours. So you do with it as long as, you know, the numbers work and the food works and people are happy, you can do whatever you want. So it's, it's exciting actually, cause that was a big concern. You know, Chris has a very specific style, which I do like a lot, um, but we want to make it more Portlandized for sure. I'm trying to think, and I probably should have done this thinking before we came in here today, but ha- is, there, is there another restaurant that had really as large a large name celebrity chef coming into Portland to open a new restaurant? So that's, that's uh, one of our selling points right now is is Chris is the first person to come from out of town and actually make it work. I know a lot of restaurateurs have come in from New York and LA potentially doing things and nobody actually pulled the trigger. Chris is the first one to come from out of town and make it work. Right. There are some chefs from Seattle who've come down here, the sure. folks at Revelry, but they're not nationally known celebrity chefs. Right. Chris is that. Right. So, uh, and then we've had some who've become Yes. Nationally known here, which is great. Yes. So absolutely. but this would be the first outsider and I think because it's from San Francisco, there's some credibility there. Oh, for sure. Too. And I don't mean I, I just mean interest and um yeah. and curiosity. And that was one of the reasons why I said yes to the job because he is well known. He's a really good person to have my back and uh him and I get along really well. The, our our food is pretty close and I really like what he does. Um, and his, his, his honest attitude toward everything is great. And the fact that every dish tells a story, he's got a story for everything, literally everything, which he will tell you. Um, and and it's a really good working relationship. Great. So have you decided how you, where you clash a little bit and where you complement each other? So uh, we're not open yet, though. That's we're not open yet. You'll know a little more when after you're open. But I, I, we've had several conversations about vegetarians and vegans and, him understanding the audience that we're going to have and realizing that we need some more of that. So I've been trying to press that slowly but surely, and he, he gets it. So it that is something he contends with in San Francisco. His menu is very meat-based. Right. It's, it's by no means 
you can't go there as a vegetarian. It's not that at all. However, um, most of the dishes have some sort of something pork product, beef product, something, uh, which I love about mm-hmm. it. Uh, but knowing where we are and knowing especially that we're in a hotel and we're not a standalone restaurant, we, we need to make sure we adapt. So are you going to have breakfast too? We're doing breakfast, lunch, dinner, happy hour, late night, fourth meal, fifth wow. meal. It's like being on a cruise ship. Yeah. We are not 24 hours, which is great. Yeah. You're not going to do... You ever been on a cruise? No. Have you been on a cruise? Oh, yeah. The 12 o'clock meal. Right. After, every, after you're completely feeling like shit. Right. After the eight o'clock, Here, here's some more food. Yeah, I, you know I can eat a lot, but yeah. I just could not get oh, on yeah. that line at twelve. Yeah. So anyway, just the hotel. It just yeah. feels like a stationary cruise ship. What you're, what you've got to run. Right. Uh, but you're not serving six thousand diners. No. Uh, all the same. Hopefully day not. After day. Well, ho- it'd be interesting if you had that situation. <laughs> so, um, do you have? Do you have a uh, your Couple, you've got the menu now. We're pretty much we're pretty much set up at this point. We're two weeks out now, so now it's, we're starting to come up with the order lists and the prep lists and all that stuff. Can you see a signature dish or two? Um, we're gonna do a couple things. Uh, the bacon chop is one thing we're gonna do that we're bringing from San Francisco, which is a uh, sixteen ounce uh, pork chop with the belly on it, mm. which is super exciting and it's really good. Uh, the pin bone steak, which he also has down there as well, which is a four pound. Uh, basically half of leg, half of loin piece, uh, which we grill. And we're going to have a brand new charcoal oven, which is awesome. We are, we imported it from England. We are one of only two restaurants in the country to have it, mm. which is really awesome. Every, uh, everyone's got to find the oven from somewhere that exactly. no one else has. Exactly. Is it, you know, I know, um, I think that kind of, for as far as my knowledge is concerned, started with Greg and Gabby at, at Ox. Sure. And then, you know, Jose's brought his. Oh, yeah. Gorm and I Gorman. went on a long bike ride. <laughs> yeah, there you go. John's and we brought... talked about ovens for longer than people should on a bike ride, for sure. Uh, but yeah, we, we were going back and forth about it, and then he started doing research on it. It was really funny. I would imagine that's a fun thing for a chef to do, um, you know, to, to source that. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it was a challenge, sure, getting into the country. Uh, but we, and it's in. It's now. in. It's finally it's in the restaurant now. It's in a big box. Uh, we're gonna try and light it up next week, which is gonna be fun. Oh, cool! That's yeah. well, that's an Instagram moment or a Facebook Live moment. Yeah, I don't know if you can do that. <laughs> so, how how are you? Um, just because I've been reading, we had Ethan Stoll on a few weeks ago. Okay, and uh, I just saw on Facebook now he's considering running for city council because the voice of the food industry has not been heard in their minimum wage laws and everything that they're doing. Sure. Um, I just think it's going to be, we started talking about it last year, about a year ago on this, on this podcast and we've touched on it a lot. How are you going to be dealing with that at your restaurant? It's got obviously a big issue and um, price structure. How's that going to be at a hotel that relies for in large part on a transient crowd, sure. Uh, with expense, some with expense accounts, is that how's that going to impact? So our our doing? price points aren't going to be anything too crazy. We will have dishes, you know, upwards of a hundred dollars, but serving multiple people for sure. Um, but our price point will be similar. To, you know, I would say dishes ranging from six to thirty-five, which is Just pretty in line with everything else. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, as far as the minimum wage issue goes, we. Uh, us being in a hotel, we have a union in uh, for all the hourly employees. And as a result, the hourly employees there actually get a really nice wage, uh, more than I've ever paid anybody at any of the restaurants I've run before. Um, so that that's a benefit for them for sure. Um, but we do have to build that into some of the pricing for what we're selling. you know. So that's why some of our dishes are 35 bucks. It's not you know, we could easily sell it for less, but we need to uh, make sure that we're we're making sure we're on the point here. Is some of that the hotel's profit center cost too? So yes. you're not gonna you don't have to bear all of it. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And plus the amount of benefits that Hilton offers both the employees and the guest, um, there's some accounting that has to get done to to match up with that. So you know, our losses aren't necessarily losses, kind of a thing. Right, and it's absorbed nationally, so there's a little exactly. more support. Exactly. Or internationally, it's yeah. Hilton. Yeah. 
Um, they've got a lot of properties. And so are they part owner of the uh, restaurant as well? They are. They've got a, they got a steak in it? They've got a No hand pun intended? For sure. They're going to come and get some steaks. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> they're, but they're, they're actually a great company to work with. Um, and they've, they've got our back in a big way. So they've been helping us out. Cool. So what do you think, um, what do you think you have learned since you started at Clyde and then your experience really on the road, right? uh, doing something completely different? Oh, what is that? What have you learned there that you're going to bring to this spot? Cause this is new for you. I mean, I'm a different person now <laughs> entirely. Um, you know, Clyde was a great experience, and that was my first run at really managing people and, and running a kitchen, and, and um, the owner of Clyde, Nate, really had my back with everything, and, and he was really helpful with, with everything I ever did, and, and he's, an, he's a great person. Um, and where did you start there? What do you mean? At what position? Oh, I started as sous chef there, yeah, okay. and eight months after that, um, when Jason left to start Olympia Provisioned, or back then it was called Olympic, um, I became the chef after around... December that year. And was that your first job in Portland? That was my first job in Portland. And I want to just touch on it because if we keep going into Jackrabbit, I'd like to I'd like to make sure we cover how you got how you decided to come to Portland and, sure. and um, how that worked out for you when because you, you said you came jobless. Yeah. So I I left New York March 27th, 2009 and I was in a a, a rental truck towing my car. And uh, took five days to get out here. Had no job. Had sent my resume everywhere in Portland, and two people responded to me. It was Jason at Clyde, saying we need a sous chef. And strangely enough, uh, I had gone to Clyde when I came to visit Portland, and I fell in love with it. I said this would be the coolest place to work. And the other person that got in touch with me was uh, Mother's Bistro. Oh, Lisa. Yeah, and she said you're a little overqualified, but I need a weekend uh, brunch egg cook. So if you want a job, you can have it. And uh, she was very nice to do that. But I uh, I staged at Clyde, and that day they said the job is yours. So um, so I said yes. So you're essentially employed when you got here. And then so how many visits to Oregon had you had to make you decide to move? And what was the impetus? Was it an offensive move or a defensive move? It was just time to go. Uh, it had been it was year three at Blue Hill, and I had worked in New York my entire professional career at that point. And uh, I, I was ready for a change, just to see something else. And I had always wanted to move to San Francisco, and I went to visit, and the city's great. And then I saw what rent was, and I said, absolutely not. This this can't happen. So shortly after that, uh, a buddy of mine had just moved here from New York as well. He was in love with it. And I came out here, stayed with him, and uh, even it was one of the rainy weeks. It was in a February, I think, of best time to come to yeah check it out because it's only going to get better from there exactly and even with the rain it was it was awesome so we uh decided to pack up and move out here you know i wonder what's going to happen over time because there are so many people in the food industry that are here for that exact same reason sure a lot of them want to go to san francisco right but it was practically speaking just made much more sense to come here and i wonder if that's going to change over time because it is getting more expensive. It surely isn't as expensive as it is in San Francisco. Right. Yet. It's a long way. Right. But it's it's not what it was. You know, I moved here in 2005. It's gone up a lot. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and finding rent now, or I mean, I'm a renter. I'm not a buyer right now. So, and I'm actually in the process of trying to find a, a new place to live. But uh, it, it's challenging. It's like I'm already paying 1500 bucks a month and it's a great house. And I'm super lucky that we found that. But now looking around at other houses, Prices have jumped like crazy, mm-hmm. and it's a whole different program now, which is a bummer. And this is in the last in the last year. Yeah, you know, I uh, I've seen it because I look around once in a while. I used to be a homeowner, and now I'm out of that market, unfortunately. Yeah, or sometimes I feel very fortunately. Corey, you were telling me about your uh, water main problem last night. Yeah, I yeah. was very happy. No, see, I, was I, I was like you guys. I was a renter <laughs> up until about a year ago, and then our our, our landlord's like, "Yeah, hey, we're going to sell the house." the market's so hot right now. That's sort of what's happening. So, yeah. And so, so you start looking at what prices are now compared to when we moved in five years ago. And it's just like, we'd be better to buy. Yeah. And, you know, take the, take the tax break and not pay as much for equivalent house. But then when do you get in? I mean, I got in at a great time too, in 2005 and it was zipped up. Yeah. yeah. And then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, home ownership is something I just never even thought about. Are you starting to think about it now? I am now. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it's just something that I always thought was so out of my reach. Yeah. 
you know, but now seeing what rent is and, and all that, it's 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 almost the only way to go. Definite right. benefits, but let me show you my bill for my water main break that I just had to sure. pay for. <laughs> yeah, no, there, I've, I can see benefits both ways. Yeah. But are you, uh, so are you a single guy? You have a girlfriend? You have a... I am, uh, I do have a girlfriend. Yes. Yeah, okay. we, we met at Clyde Common. Oh, so it's a long, it's, well, it's considered, in, at least in my relative world, that's a long-term relationship. That's, yes. It's gone on a long time. We've been going for a long time. Good. She's great. Good. So, but that, and the, but the reason I ask that is because housing takes on a whole different nature if it's two, at sure. two people versus one. Right. And then or, I've just got stuff. I've got so I need a garage. That's my problem. <laughs> I, I'm up to nine bikes now. We've got camping stuff. Right. Wow, nine got bikes? Tools. We've got all kinds of stuff. So, if push comes to shove, do you feel like you need nine bikes or is it just an obsession? Absolutely. They all serve a purpose. It's definitely We're not just a drain on my bank account. Hoard, hoarder is what I'm hearing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's what that's I'm what wondering. I'm, I'm thinking that's, you uh, could listen in it. That's a fair assessment. Right. That's a fair assessment, yeah. There's a hoarder in all of us. We all, we're all collecting something. Yeah, no, I've gone through, and, and I'm older than you are, but a few times where I've had to like take stock in life, and you look at what's, uh, you know, 2008 and 2009, right. when we went through that housing thing, and all of a sudden, you start to look at things like, nine bikes, do I really need nine? I'm just giving you a hard time. Right. But- um, Does anybody need it? No. Do I want it? Absolutely. Right. And- right. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of great people who who have built things for me, and it's it's great. So you know, I try and just keep my relationships alive a little bit. Good. So that, that's awesome. So what what are some of the functions of the different bikes? Oh, some are just colors. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little all over the map, you know, and and uh, I race cyclocross in the fall, so there's a couple of those. Do you do mountain biking? I do. Uh, so there's one of those, a couple of road bikes. Um, and I've been fortunate, like I said, um, Chris King has been really good to me in the in the bicycling sense. So I've I've gotten some pieces from him. Um, a couple of friends have made me frames that, of course, I just have to build up. So it's wow, been, uh, it's it's cool. And I, I I have a hard time getting rid of stuff because everything just kind of has some meaning to it now. Yeah, well, it's just it's just like being a watch collector or yeah, yeah bike collector. Exactly. That's fantastic. So what's the longest ride you've ever done in well, one day? Ship oh, uh, 107 is my record. Right now, 107 miles. And uh, that was at Chef Cycle last year. Mm-hmm. And that's because we got lost in a pretty big way. <laughs> how, how long would it have been had you not gotten lost? Isn't it 100 for 100, 100 days? Yeah, the first days? day last year would have been about 93 miles. Uh, but instead, we took a wrong turn in the 110-degree heat. And uh, we gained another 15 miles and uh, another 2,000 feet of elevation. So we were done at the end of that. It was it was pretty it was pretty toasty, and but you was that the last day or did you have to that go was day again? one? <laughs> oh shit! So how did you feel the next day getting up? Um, well, fortunately, the hotel we were staying at that night uh, had a pool, so it just immediately jumped in, and and that set the muscles right and stretched out and tried not to drink that day, and the next day went pretty well. Uh, I was actually riding with with Chris Cosentino at the time. He does the event also. He's the one who got me plugged into it actually, and. He he had been riding with me the day before. He got lost also, and mile seventy, I believe, he blew up entirely, just like cracked over. And then you know, and what does that look like? Oh, you you turn a <laughs> color that is not human in nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a challenge, and um, and, and you're just dehydrated, and you're you're wishing for it to be over, and it's just it, the word is suffer really. Um, and then mile eighty, I blew up. And it's just a feeling of just anger uh, for me. You know, it's like we, we had 10 miles left in the ride, and uh, every time there was a little bit of an incline, I was just mad. And uh, and it went from, you know, at the point we were at, we were going over the coast uh, range in California, and it was almost 98 degrees or so on the one side, and we got over the hill, and it was it went to 60. So at that point, you're just freezing because you're coated in sweat and you're going down this hill and you're exhausted and you're tired. You Wish you're going down. True. True. <laughs> There's a positive. So are you grasping at positives? Yes. At that point? I would yes. Um, have you done any co- Oregon coastal riding? No. And in fact, we're trying to plan something for later this year, uh, riding from here out to the coast, possibly down and then back. So it's 100 miles each way, which is great. Mm-hmm. And uh, possibly doing something at Jacobson Salt, actually, at his, at his factory out there and, and stopping there for the night. And- Boy, you got 360 miles of beautiful coastline. And I would say 
it's all great, but the southern part, if you can ever figure out something down there. Right. Because there's more, 101 is, kisses the walk, kisses the ocean more down there than it does up here. Right. Not that there's anything bad about this. Yeah, I've never actually done much. I, I did a little bit of riding on the coast, but it was more just 20 miles here and there. It was no big deal. But yeah, I, no I would like deal. to do a, tri- uh, a trip one day for sure because it is beautiful. Yeah, no big deal, 20 miles. I actually... Before I moved out here, when I had, and there's a picture of me in the town newspaper towing my both kids in a little trolley, a trailer behind me in a 25 mile charity thing. And uh, I look back and I think that was pretty cool of me to, you know, that's a lot of weight to carry two kids. Oh, yeah. Those things. That's uh, the more. I could do that. That's, that's my saving grace when I think <laughs> I could do that at one point. Right. Yeah. I do, mean, and now. Do it today. Yeah. <laughs> What I've learned is when it comes to stuff like this, it's 100% easier to not do it than it is to do it. So, you know, I pick right. my battles right now for sure. So are you, uh, you're going to be pretty busy. Yes. So you're going to have less time yes. to do that. Oh, as it is right now, I, I'm beginning to do the 5 a.m. wake up to work out and, uh, and get my riding in before I even have to come to work. So you, have to, you do that every day? That's your routine? I like to try to. It works out, I'd say, two out of seven days a week. Um, but we'll, I'll have to get the miles in where I can get them in. Yeah. Do you think uh, you would have been doing this if you weren't in Portland? Oh, if I was still in New York, this would absolutely not have happened. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I was thinking if you ended up in San Francisco, you may have. You don't know what would have happened. But That's I just, true. We have such a biking culture here. No, and I and think that, that definitely helped me. Um, I, the, the cycling culture here is is – the craziest group of people you will ever meet. And I mean that in the best way possible. Uh, you know, had I not moved in with my ex-roommate, um, Dylan, who, who did the marketing for Chris King, and he introduced me to all of his friends who introduced me to all of their friends, they just get you so excited to get be on your bike that you just want it more and more and more. So um, I have to, I was last year in, in Spain with Jose Chesa. Yeah. And we were at a hotel. We stopped for... We he he and I actually escaped on a bike into some vineyards for like two hours. It was just fantastic. like a tandem bike, like just the bikes they <laughs> like gave us built for two. No, oh, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> the that visual been, on that that would have been a good picture. But yeah. no, we had we had fun as it were. But there was a there was a bike tour going through. Oh sure. At the time, and there was some political shit going on throughout the two days we were there. We oh, were yeah. watching the leader. Just really coming down on some guy for creating problems and that, uh, and How threatening long ago to kick this? him out. This was last year. Okay, it's last October. Uh, not in our group. No, right. no, no. Just not. I don't don't want there to be any misunderstandings. This was a group from. The, there were two groups there sure. on bicycle tours, wow. and we just kind of sat in the sidelines and watched this this drama ensue. Does that happen a lot? Because it gets a little testy out there with... Uh, depending on the group you're with, cyclists do have some drama for sure. There's, you know, you're you're using your body in ways that most people wouldn't and it causes a lot of pain and your brain does start to skew after a little bit when the day gets long enough and hot enough. So I do get it. Uh, it doesn't happen much around here though. I'll be honest. The, the, the community around here is, is great. Right. So that, that was probably people getting together who weren't from the same area, weren't exactly. from the same industry. You're generally exactly. in, with, with uh, colleagues. and, and Riders around and, here are pretty nice to each other for the most part, unless it's during a race, which I have seen some angry people during bike races, myself included. And it's mostly just me mad at myself for being huge and, and having gotten drunk the night before instead of training for a race. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a great community to be a part of. Everyone really supports each other. You know, the, our event at Plaza del Toro last week or two weeks ago now, that it was any really, indication. God, I love that place. Yeah. It was really nicely done. Oh yeah. That's a beautiful room. I'd never been in there. Oh really? And, and John Gorham, uh, unfortunately he was going to join us for the event. Unfortunately his timing didn't allow for it, but, uh, he did donate the space to us. And and he was there that night. He was there support. that night. Yes. So that was good to see. It was good to see him. So, um, You've had a little time away from the restaurant world, so I'm guessing you've had some time to get out and eat here and there. I have. And so you got any recent favorites that wouldn't be the obvious, maybe? Let's mm. go there. Or it's, even the obvious, some of your favorites. Well, I mean, going going back to uh, 
to Rick, I mean, anything he touches is good. So all the lardos, all the grosses, all the, the now beer belly, I love all of those places. You're going to come to Italy and ride bikes with us over there? I would You're love not gonna to. Be, you have an excuse, though. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy your excuse. I've got a new 150-seat child to yes, deal with exactly. now. <laughs> um, no, uh, and on top of that, I mean, I, I have not gone to as many new places as I probably should have. Uh, Aviary's always been one of my favorites. Always the – it's – it's always up there with everybody sitting in your seat. Yes. Everybody mentions it. Yep. And, uh, yeah, Sarah does an incredible job. Yep. Note to Court and Chris, we have to get Sarah. That's always on top of my mind. On yeah. The podcast. Uh, Laurelhurst Market, too, is also one of my favorites. It, that was one mm-hmm. of the first restaurants I went to. when I They just opened when I moved here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I... It's, so it's, it's been awesome. eight years they've been open already? Wow. Times... Because you moved here? Yeah. In, yeah. I remember when I first got here, that was still a garage. And then about a year later or so, that was Laurelhurst Market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're doing well. And then, uh, you know, Lutz Tavern, of course. Standby. Uh, I love Loyal Legion. I love what they're doing with, with, uh, with the beer there. It's, it's great. Um, Big, are you a bigger beer drinker than wine drinker? Yes. Uh, my brother got the wine jeans. I got the beer jeans. Uh, wine, honestly, just gives me headaches. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I try. Yeah. And that's one nice thing about... Going to Europe, you don't get the headaches right. that you get here. It's a whole different experience. I mean, eight beers also gives me headaches, but yeah, uh, I, I like to taste it a little bit more. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, listen, I this was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. I'm wishing you luck at uh, Jackrabbit. Thank you. And, and breaking a leg and all those good things. And uh, we'll see you there. All right. We appreciate it. We'll uh, hope to see you in the dining room soon. All right. And I look forward to meeting Chris. I've passed him. I mean, I've, I've met him briefly at Feast... A couple of times. Yes. But never actually had the opportunity to have a conversation. He'll be here soon, and he'll be here for a couple of weeks while we open. So. And then how often do you think he's going to be up? He'll be up here quite a bit, actually. He loves Portland. Uh, he's actually considering getting a place here. Mm-hmm. Uh, him and his son are both really into the Timbers. Um, his wife loves the town. It's it, and they're really And plus, he's a huge cyclist, so the community up here is great. So uh, I think they'll be up here a lot. So... Uh, suffice it to say that it's probably that's something from the heart for him. It wasn't just a business move. Right. It's some, somewhere he wanted to be. Right. It it made sense. It's you know on the closer side to San Francisco, and uh, just the town is about everything he's about. Well, wish you both and everyone there a lot of uh, good things. I'll see you there. Thanks very much. Thank you. Right at the Fork is supported by PortlandFoodAndDrink.com. The legendary food dude dishes up Portland food news and comprehensive guides to just about everything that has to do with food in Portland. From coffee and wine shops to bakeries and more. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at foodpodcastpdx or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Yeah,